Hey everybody, it's Terrell Cummings and this is a bonus episode of the Always Relevant Podcast. Um, I know on the last episode I was talking with Dane, I was saying that I had an episode or an interview with my friend, uh, good friend Lee Caldwell, and um, we had some, some, some good discussion, you know, just some kind of the relations that are going on in, in our country and the social injustice and kind of changes that we see and change that we hope to happen and just really kind of um, showing how he has uh, progressed you know throughout time to have the vision and have the um, the opinions that he does as of right now going forward um, with everything going on in our society so you know, it was good talking with him you know, good having a real conversation with him um, and hearing his perspective on just, you know, just everything going on, him growing up in small town Indiana and, you know, going to participating in the the protest out in Denver, Colorado uh, for Black Lives Matter. So, you know, it's definitely interesting, definitely interesting to hear his perspective on everything and how he got to that perspective. And, you know, I think it's it's a it's a good conversation to hear. Um, it's, it's not our traditional format as far as how we interview, how the interview went. Um, we kind of were just talking through things, uh, kind of doing a pre-show uh, type thing. And then we kind of just started talking and got into everything. So, you know, you guys will be able to kind of hear everything from the start, from the jump, how we uh, kind of got to start talking about everything. And, uh, you know, I hope that when you listen, you, know, you enjoy it, you know, hear things from from Lee's perspective and you know how he uh went about some things and kind of I think the the mindset that took place that kind of I think changed his thinking over time as far as how he's viewing the world so um this is interesting it's a a different episode from our, our normal but I think it's uh it could definitely be enjoyable and a learning experience for everybody so um here we go. I'm excited to share this with you. Hope you're excited to listen to it. Um, you know, my interview with Lee Caldwell. Enjoy the show. What's up, brother? Oh, you're still connecting. All right. You got me? Yeah, man. Hey, what's up, dude? Nothing, man. Chilling out. Hell yeah, man. You're looking good, man. Yeah. Yeah. Try not to look terrible. But I got this nice little scar. You probably can't even tell it's there. It's like in a creek. But it's there. But. (laughs) 
healthy uh, now. It's a lot better than what it was. Yeah. Indeed, exactly. man. So. Oh, yeah. But What's yeah, up? Man, nothing really, man. Just I've been studying. So I'm doing the online MBA course at University of Dayton. Yeah. So that's uh you uh back to them uh late nights I see. Oh yeah. Yeah, starting to sit that's down enough. and getting your studying on at eight at ten forty five at night. Usually it's like two AM. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you man. I get like I get my midnight oil in too, but whew. Yeah, like usually I'll go to sleep like at ten or ten thirty and then Copen will wake up. Like at two thirty, I wake up with her, get her to sleep, and then I just stay up and study. Oof, damn! So, It'll yeah. pay off though. It will, it will. So that's just an accelerated program. So you know. Oh yeah, man! Get it in, get it done. Oh yeah, no doubt, man, no <laughs> doubt. So, no, nah, man, it, it's 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 crazy. I was like, oh, whatever. I was trying to get. I wasn't gonna Dane on here and everything, but you know. Not quite sure if he's, he's wanting to get out here or not. You know yeah. what I mean? So, which, you know, I get that. I feel you. So, so yeah. then, I'm trying to think how we were going to, because I was trying to think how we want to try to kick it off. I know we hadn't really discussed much of anything uh-huh. before. Like, this is my first time doing it on here, which I can, I can strip the audio files, what I wouldn't do. I'm stripping okay. the audio files and put it into the podcast that's what i'm gonna do um, all right that's cool with me because i actually have i'm not familiar with the uh podcasting software okay no i just use i just use like the anchor app usually we're just doing this from our cell phones okay oh right on. sometimes like uh the technology is kind of janky it, it, i think mean, they were like a startup and it, it, uh-huh. is, it is an easy way to do it and it'll publish it out to different like podcasting platforms like apple Podcasts and oh yeah excuse me or spotify and stuff like that so yeah i was actually like, super like stoked when i was able to uh just be able to start pulling off the podcast the uh um like you said apple Podcasts. yeah i mean it's a uh, look at it fucking kick it's ass there, yeah man. it's like it's official it's out there <laughs> I don't know if it's official, but we're bringing some, stu- we're, we're bringing some stupidity to the table for sure. Actually, I mean, this, I'll be honest, man. It is, it's been super enjoyable to, uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say I catch it every week, but like, I definitely, especially when uh, we were doing a whole lot of delivery stuff. I mean, my yeah. company right now, 90% of my business model is doing delivery and right. now I've got drivers and everything. They're taking care of that, but gosh. I mean, from the start of the year all the way up until, I mean, hell, it was just probably about a month ago, I spent a whole right. lot of time out on the road making drops. And I would just, like, throw the podcast on. And, dude, it was awesome just to, like, just to, like, be able to, like, feel like I was – I literally felt like sitting at the bar with just, like, you right. and Dane, like, bannering back and forth. <laughs> and the the, D, the early on DJ ones are, like, they're so funny. Oh, God, dude. Because it's like just, like, DJ, DJ like, manic DJ. <laughs> yeah, like he we be talking all of a sudden he has like a left and it's like, oh god, where's he gonna take this? Yeah. So like, we need to be reeling back in. Or I don't know. Me and Dan was like, all right. After all, DJ, he wasn't reliable to be there on a regular basis. Yeah. So I kicked him off. He's like, gotta get, gotta get dropped. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I saw you, like, we'll I see him be there and you weren't there. I see him keep throwing out that thirsty invite uh every time you drop a new one and now that Dane's the official co host. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we're 
where my invite go? I'm like, dude, you MIA, dude. There's times <laughs> we need John there, and like you weren't showing up. You wouldn't yeah. even call, wouldn't text, nothing. So if you don't call or text, then you're out of luck. <laughs> yeah, if you can't be counted on, don't be don't be counted in. Or I tell them like we're starting at like 10 a.m. on the dot. If you're late, I'm, I'm not letting you call. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'm at a girl's house. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you've been out, you've been out this for a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. You're like, so, then he's like, yeah, I'm at, I'm at a girl's house, and it's like, dude, DJ. I mean, I applaud the guy because he's what 35 now. Still living yeah. that, still living that hey, life he, y'all were. Li- he was living on uh, wherever the hell you and him lived. Oh at. yeah, down there in Oakley, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, pure, stu- pure stupidity. Yeah, stupidity. love the kid to death though. So, yeah, but he's he, he finds s- stupid shit constantly. Still, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, still he need, he, I mean, he needs like someone watching over him always. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think I don't think that's ever gonna change. Like we're we're in class together. Oh it's really? Like oh my gosh, what's this dude saying? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I think, the thing. I think we have. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was like, that's the about DJ man. He literally can just like turn it on, and then you're right back to right. being DJ. I think we have the highest grades in the class. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know if that's good or bad, but. <laughs> I mean that that's how Hanover does it, man. Like you even that's like true. being away for a while when you go back to it, you're like, yeah. Oh wow, I really remembered how to like study or really remembered how to be able to just like yeah. you know, twist an arm and figure out how to get to where I need to get to. Well, it, it's not like overly hard, honestly. For me, it's like all right, work full time, family, and then try to find time to study to get this other shit done. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the hardest part. It's just time more than anything. If I had time, I mean, it would be, I mean, I have a 4.0 right now, but it would be like a walk in the park 4.0 because I could really put time in it to study and not be yeah. studying at like three o'clock in the morning. So, I mean, I, I ask myself all the time how the fuck I can get more time, let alone how it has to be, you know, having not one, but two kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So, Caden just lost his first tooth. So, oh yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, he's pretty excited. About it. He got twenty dollars from Tooth Fairy. I'm like, holy wow. shit, man! Tooth Fairy's <laughs> doing well these days. I uh, know Tooth Fairy's balling, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Tooth Fairy must have an in at that bank. <laughs> I guess. So, I guess I don't even know. I don't yeah. know how to handle it. Is, what, so is so, he what in second? No, like first grade now? No, he's getting ready to start kindergarten. Kindergarten. He's oh, five. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Ten, I mean, yeah, he's you know, five, I, I don't even know so. how to tell time anymore, man. It either goes uh, by super fast or it goes by super slow. Well, whenever seen... he's playing sports, he's always playing against older kids, though. Oh, nice. You know yeah, I mean? you had mentioned so, that. Yeah, so he'll, he's going to be he's going to be all right. Whatever yeah. sport he, sports he decides to play. Yeah, take it right. after both mom and dad. He'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. It's good. How's Copeland though? Loves it too. He's sports junkie. She's good, man. She's uh learn how to walk so nice she still crawls some now is a little faster but she she waddles around <laughs> everywhere it's funny how much different she is than Caden because yeah just they're just different like she's like just diva whiny personality <laughs> now not a whiny personality but 
don't know. If she wants something, she's gonna be crying for it for sure. Where Caden, you could put him in, you could have put him in a corner, and he'd just stay quiet the whole time and do his <laughs> thing. She wants yeah. people around. Uh, okay. So, I mean, when you're, I mean, I don't know. Attitude. I don't it's know. Good. I'm old, I'm oldest. I know you're oldest. Right. So you don't ever have to like. I don't know what it's like to have to fight that. I hey, I'm here. I want some attention too. Right. And then, exactly. I mean, and then even like Amanda, I mean, hell, she's the youngest, but there's a big gap between her right. and her next sibling. So she was kind of like, you know, only Fire child part two. Right. Right. So. Well, shit, dude. Yeah. Also, yeah. I was trying to think about how we would do it, do uh-huh. this and everything. And um, I'm trying to uh, let's see this way to go about it because I need to make sure I record it right. Uh huh. Um, think about this getting to like uh, kind of just where you're from like the area country you're from and yeah. what's that like initially you know what I mean yeah. and then and then I don't know I'm trying to think where we can really take it are you like, just kind of yeah, asking I, like where like where take it from like where I grew up at kind of yeah <clears throat> kind of basically you know coming like Dillsboro to Hanover to how in the fuck I got to here <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, because yeah, I mean, we, it we is can. kind of it's ironic, and it's there's a quote I always think of when I think about how like the three of us like come at things in entirely different ways. Well, I right. mean, I should say Dane and I come at something from an entirely different perspective, and then right. you're like there in the middle. You do such a really great job of moderating it, <laughs> but, but you honestly do. You honestly do, and I think it's part of it has to do in a way with. I think you've had to navigate and float in conversations like that are difficult for people and can, they can end up being emotionally charged. Cause I mean, if I think about it, man, like you've, like you've always been like one of like the sole, like, I mean, not just like the sole, like black, you've been like the sole minority and a lot of situations. I'm sure it's gotta be kind of like weird, like floating through all that. You know what I mean? I mean, I think, we can talk about it, but it's just something you just kind of get used to. You yeah. get used to being the only black person in the room, minority in the room. You get almost comfortable with it. You're not like straight up comfortable, but like you get pretty comfortable with it in those situations where it's like, all right. Now, I was in a weird situation the other night. I went to a bar. It was a biker bar. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I've never been in this bar. This is definitely different. I'm probably going to stand out. You know, I, look, I was with some dude that was like six eight, and he's from Hamilton, so that helped. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, when you, know, when, you, when you when you when you roll with like, a local, it always helps. Yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't just roll in there by myself, though. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I mean, and that's and that's like kind of crazy. And that's one thing I feel that I've always like tried to like seek to understand, because you know I came from a place where, you know, I mean, hell, I we had there were two black dudes in my entire high school of about a thousand kids. And then outside of that, like the next darkest person was my friend, David, who, I mean, you know, he's right. and I mean, yeah, hell, yeah, he, yeah. He, yeah, he's Palestinian. He's like, actually, right. and so for, I mean, it was so lily white coming from basically like Dillsborough and then going to Hanover and let's not kid ourselves. It's not like Hanover is a diverse place. Right. They wanted yeah. it to be. They did, yeah, did but the kids go out there and it's like, man, we're in the middle of nowhere. Oh, and yeah. there's nothing here. There's maybe a Walmart. <laughs> yeah. 
and Walmart was 30 minutes away. Right. Right. <laughs> and and, and so, it was close. Yeah. And it was, and it's, it was, and I think Hanover in a way tried to do a really good, like you said, they wanted it to be diverse. And I think they tried to do a really good job of culturing essentially minority students to be there at a school that honestly, I mean, if it wasn't 90% white, I feel like it might be a higher number, not a lower number. No, no, <laughs> and, yeah, no, that's legit. And, and the reason why I wouldn't is because the international program they ex- had exactly. athletics. I mean, I said, <laughs> so, I, I've told many people that if you were, if you were black and you went to Hanover, you either played sports or you were actually from Africa. Right. And right. I mean, I've that, never that, felt like that was like an exaggeration. No, that's the truth. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and if you think, but you think about like the, you know, you, for every person that was like you or, um, Mikhail Rath, they like stayed through and like graduated, you know, there were other guys that, you know, kind of dropped out and, or transfer for whatever reason, you know, guys like, uh, like Riv or, um, was it, was it Riv Nancy? Swole. Yeah. yeah. Yancey, Swole, like the Florida dudes. Yeah. And and it, for them, I feel bad for them because it was like straight up culture sock. Oh, you know yeah. What I'm saying? Like, you know, where most people in Indiana have never been around black people. You know, most of those dudes <laughs> have not been around, you know, at least rural white America like that. Oh, yeah. And it was like completely just different for them. Oh, 100%, yeah. 100%, you know, so. And that's why, you know, those Florida dudes, when I said Florida dudes, I mean the black dudes and oh, yeah. the Latino dudes, they like, they kicked it together. Oh, sure. absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was also like, you know, and, don't, and that's what I was going to say, like when you talk about the Florida guys, you can't just talk about the black guys. You have to think about the guys like, uh, like Alex Page and you have to think about like Fon, or Alfonso Ribeiro and those guys. That right. actually, right. or um, um, like he was a defensive lineman, Lebrano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, LeBron that was there. You had um oh Gonzalez. Miguel Gonzalez. Remember oh, him? Yeah. He's Florida dude. Oh yeah. Then you have like Carpiac and those guys. Oh yeah. You know? and, so, and that's the thing too. Like don't even don't discount that even the, like, the, the white dudes guys. that came up the white the white dudes that came up from Florida it was like culture shock. It was always that funny yeah, thing that yeah, first time yeah. when we would get snow and so many of them dudes had never seen snow before. <laughs> Right, they're sitting there standing in the snow with their mouth open. Yeah. You know, <laughs> taste the snow for the first time. Yeah, and you're like, right. oh, this is like nasty shit. <laughs> right. But, right. So, yeah, and like so. that, but I will, and I was, you know, I was kind of thinking about this. I didn't know, like, how, um, how the conversation would, like, go. But in a way, thinking about, I always say that, you know, Hanover was an adverse place. But what it was is it gave me the tools to really kind of be able to examine the world kind of from my own perspective. Um, I, I don't think I'm basically underselling it when I say that I view the world drastically different than the majority of people I grew up around, the people that still live, you know, in my like hometown. Um, right. But what, for me though, is like, but it wasn't because I experienced a whole lot of diversity in Hanover. I actually, the, I've always said the most formative thing for me in my life and how I kind of shaped my own worldview was working in restaurants and it's because you know I still remember like I moved it when I moved to Indy um literally the first restaurant I worked in it was the first place I worked in close proximity with 
uh, basically homosexuals, uh, illegal immigrants, uh, people that were just of Hispanic descent or were first generation Hispanic, mm -hmm. um, black folks. I mean, it was legitimately like just jumping right in. It's like, oh my God, this is literally what the American melting pot is. And this is what our society is. And it's, <clears throat> it's a weird, and it's a, a career that, you know, if you either cut it or you don't, and it doesn't matter really what your background is. And for me, I kind of learned, I learned so much, honestly, just even in the first year I worked in restaurants, let alone, I mean, the 15 years that I spent doing it. Um, right, right. And then I guess what would, I would say would be the final piece that really kind of flipped how I kind of thought about things was basically when I moved from Indy back to Cincinnati, mm -hmm. or to Cincinnati, I should say, not just the Cincinnati area, I, um, I started back going to grad school uh, to get my master's in education. And I always talk about, you know, Hanover was the cradle of all my knowledge and it's, it was such a great place and the education was so formative, but the, I will, I was actually telling Amanda this the other day, literally two of my favorite classes I took in my entire time um, in higher education. And especially when they had a shaping uh, view on my world is that, was one was economic geography, which kind of looked at the effects of colonialism and how you still see the ravages and economic uh, class system um, in the Caribbean through basically American, well, originally European and then American interventionism. And then I also took a class called contemporary politics. And it was with a, uh, he was a former Jamaican di uh, diplomat and it was one of the first times I'd ever actually had a professor kind of challenge me to look at things from a way that was outside of, quite honestly, being a white person. And with that, and I mean, God, I mean, I was, you know, I was probably mid-20s, well, late 20s. And I was like, right. well, well, what the hell do you mean that, like, like, what the hell do you mean that, like, what's white privilege and these type of things? And then, like, as, like, through really, like, in-depth and just, like, spirited conversations, it honestly, more than anything else, my uh, undergrad education at Hanover it prepared me for, like, just that ability to talk and, like, flesh out an idea and debate an issue in a way that you're both learning but trying to also express your points. Right. Um, really led, led, led me to take a lot away from it. <clears throat> and I, the guy actually used to uh, come into my bar because NKU would do a lot of uh, alumni things at Brio when I worked at the Levy. And I remember like, it was probably God, like two, maybe three years after I had had his class and I was still attending bar and I just walked in and I said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but, um, I, I took your contemporary politics class and I was a post when I was a post back student. And I just wanted to know, like, you probably hated me at the time, but I took more away from your class than I honestly ever have. He goes, Oh no, I totally remember you. And I didn't hate you. I just wanted you to see what, what the world really was like. And right. it really kind of struck me. It was profound. And, you know, then like through like 
coming into like your late twenties when you kind of start to see the world in yet another different way and <clears throat> you're evaluating where you're at in it. Um, I, that was when I started taking my master's classes and right. through looking at education and I've always thought that education is the way that you can have the greatest impact and the greatest way to affect change. And, um, you know, and that was why I got back. I went back to school initially and right. what I wanted and I, and I was never one of those and everyone would ask me, they're like, Oh, are you going to come back? You want to come back to South Dearborn and coach basketball? You want to come coach football? And I was like, Wait. God, no, like that is like the last thing I want. <laughs> and it, and right. it was nothing, not because like, you know, like that, um, you know, South Dearborn where I went to high school at, was bad or I mean hell the whole time that I was in grad school I was a full-time I was a substitute teacher at both South Dearborn my alma mater and East Central which was you know the next school over and um you know but for me I never wanted to come back um it was one of the reasons why that I really had an issue with teaching in the first place is I never wanted to be that uh, and and being a history major and and having that be my primary area of focus, you automatically are applying for a job that is typically going to be occupied by a coach. Right. And yeah, true. Um, that was, yeah. I and mean, it's just the nature of what it is. And that was always one of my things when I was going, when I was looking for jobs is I never wanted to be that history teacher that was breaking down game film on my computer while my class right. was doing worksheets. That just, that wasn't who I was. And, um, but you know, that, that was just, that just wasn't my path. Right. <clears throat> so when, excuse me for a second. But when I started having opportunities to start to do work, um, actually in schools of my choosing, right. for me, it was a matter of, I wanted to work in Cincinnati public schools. Um, I knew that that was an area where one, they were typically hiring teachers, but also it was where I felt I could have the greatest impact um, on my students' lives and be of the most benefit and use to a community. Um, you know, not, nothing, nothing against the schools that I had worked at previously, but when I was at, when I was in NKU, I did, I, we had to do a couple different immersion projects through the course of my master's program before you actually did your student teaching. Right. And one of them was actually at Dayton, Kentucky. And it is, it's one of the poor schools, um, not only in kind of the greater Cincinnati metro area, but actually in the entire state of Kentucky. And um, it was very interesting to see what a, to see, see what a school could look like that was impoverished, but yet was honestly predominantly white. Right. And, Actually, I shouldn't say predominantly. It was a lot of. It was mostly white, mostly Hispanic, and it was on. It's kind of like in a way you think about a like a forgotten minority sometimes, and right. to see like the impact of just what poverty has on people's lives, and how that affects your education, not only in terms of, <clears throat> not only in terms of what your schools are funded like, but also what you're coming to school with. You know, are you coming to school hungry? Are you going home and knowing that there's not going to be anything to eat at home unless what you had with your, you know, government provided lunch at the school. And it was, right. it really kind of made me start to think even more so about 
you know, social justice and where, like, how does society work? And then um, when I, I was super fortunate that when I got to do my student teaching, I actually got placed at, um, with Cincinnati Public Schools, which is why I ultimately wanted, but it was also with Clark Montessori, which is the first public Montessori high school anywhere in the country. Um, it's ran by Cincinnati Public Schools. It is 100% designed to be a school to where it is both, it is down the middle minority and white. It is down the middle um, free and reduced lunch and, you know, affluent to where you're literally taking kids and, and putting them into a, a crucible to where they learn about themselves. And I don't know how familiar you are with like the Montessori model, but with it, and it, excuse me, it really drew me coming from our experiences at Hanover, where everything was focused on debate or discussion and trying to seek understanding or seek getting your point across while also seeking to understand. It was, right. a, it was a back and forth. And that, and at the, Mon, in the Montessori model, that whole, it's all centered around discussion and they call it the circle and it's where you're able to freely debate ideas. And that what for me, like it totally sparked me absolutely being passionate about education again, because it was like, wow, this is everything that I love about education and how I love to not just learn in an academic setting, but learn in a cultural setting. Um, just put right, like right on front street, right on display. And right. it was really awesome. And I was super fortunate there because um, even though I was a social studies teacher, I didn't have to teach history or I didn't have to teach geography. I actually taught, uh, philosophy and, uh, and sociology. So, I mean, I'm sure you're knowing you, that, how you right? know me, the, the, like, it's the like, style classes. Oh yeah. So, um, and it was, and which was great. Uh, but sociology, which was something, you know, that it just kind of went along with the curriculum and being liberal arts like who are as undergrads and then something I classes I had to take because it's one of the accepted social studies. Um, when I taught sociology though, it was really interesting because I, um, I, the one unit I got to do solely by myself, just with my teacher kind of coordinate or kind of overseeing me, but not actually having his hands on it was I got to do race and it was something I was really looking forward to because literally how often in your life do you ever, are you ever presented with a situation where literally the sides are equal? Every, I mean, right. every way you want to look at it, like people are going to come, in, come at it from not only an equal level, but also a level where there is stratospheres within each category. And so I was super stoked to do that. And let's be serious. It's Cincinnati. So it has its, it has this bit of a seeming racist or uh, history with race. And right. um, one of the cool things that kind of just happened by happenstance was that my coordinating professor or coordinating teacher, his partner was the chief of staff for a council member leading up to the uh, 2001 uh, Timothy Thomas race riots in Cincinnati. Okay. So I'm getting to teach so I'm getting to teach or talk about race because I don't even want to say it's teaching because it really wasn't in a way with Montessori. It's a discussion. You're learning, you're understanding. Right. And um, so I'm getting to learn about race from these kids perspectives. And 
<clears throat> and you know we're watching like first person videos uh like you know first person shot videos of the council meetings leading up to the riots popping off in 01 and um and really having like some hard-hitting discussions and it's inspiring when you're looking at kids or anywhere from 15 to 18 years old that are able to address something more frankly I mean quite honestly 40 50 60 70 year old people are able to right and so that was incredible um I actually got to show them one of my all-time favorite movies because I had some my coordinating teacher had such collateral he would because he had one of the ones that designed the program for a culminating experience in that unit, we actually got to watch Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee, which again nice. addresses some of the issues that we're still facing today in right. you know, 1986, uh, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, to then we're talking about things. And, and so this would have been in 2011. We're in a 10 year context framing the Timothy Thomas race riots in Cincinnati. And then now you flipped and well, in, well i mean even in that regard in 2011 or i'm sorry it would have been 2012 because i was still teaching there um during the 2012 election and um after after barack obama won his second term i you know we're talking about talking with these kids and it's a very you know, like i said it's a very multicultural it's a very diverse it's a very progressive school so like everyone is celebrating and I remember having this conversation with, cause after we did race, I think we moved into religion and then we moved into class. And what, and I remember telling, saying the same to my kids or to the kids in my class, along with Bob, my coordinating teacher. And it was in your lifetime, the biggest divider that you're going to see is class, not race. Right. And with everything that has literally been happening, and, you know, obviously it, we have reached an absolute fountainhead at where we are right now. But over the course of the last, you know, nine years, or I'm sorry, eight years. That's it's still um, the case. I, I mean, it's I really struggle with that. I'm like, man. just widened. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I tell Amanda, like, I, I feel sometimes I lied to these kids. And I, I misled them. And it's, and it's been like, it weighs on me sometimes. But then it's, you know, and then like you fast forward to where we are today and <clears throat> excuse me but you still i think i think you're still right though i think it is a class thing more than anything. i think, I think the, the class levels have widened completely i mean the it's working true. middle class is is not what it was at all very true you know what i mean so you have the upper the upper middle class and the upper class and you have like the lower middle class and then you know the poor poverty yeah poverty restriction class like i mean that's the really gulf is widened so right completely 100 and 100%. i mean think i mean think about like honestly like where where you guys are at right now um you know i look at you know at basically you know west carrollton miamisburg moraine you know that was that was gm and it was yeah Frigidaire, right and i mean and uh, it, was, it, was, it was GM and, and the paper mills, the paper yeah. mills that were there. And then once and they closed down, like, what's Carol was stuck. Absolutely. And, I mean, even think about, like, further south, like, Middletown, like, how much has AK Seal, like, shrunk their production over the years? And right. it's when you see those jobs go away, that's where you start to see the, the class divide expand and widen. 
and you know everybody preaches to the middle class ideal and for a lot of people they're asking themselves well what does that look like or you know on the night or on the other side of the spectrum does it even exist and i think you know kind of jumping ahead that's one thing that you saw or that you know i saw firsthand i think a lot of us have seen on the news in the last couple weeks is that not only are you seeing excuse me please cut that out (laughs) but um i can't i can't promise that i will but it's okay (laughs) but uh But one, I think that's one thing that we're actually like really seeing though is um, not only are you seeing, is it that you're seeing, you know, the African-American community and you're seeing the Latino community, especially out here in Colorado, because, you know, while our African-American community is actually smaller, especially coming from a place like Cincinnati, um, our Latino community is huge. And we also have a very big indigenous community as well. Um, So, but in addition to seeing these groups of, you know, minorities really come together, you're also seeing a big upheaval. And honestly, um, I'd say, I guess it'd be millennial to exillennial to whatever is after that, you know, basically 18 to, you know, people that are right up in our age group that are really frustrated and feel like they have an economy that doesn't work for them. They feel like they are totally left behind. They feel speechless and they feel that the American dream that they were promised, you know, go to college, work hard, cut out, get the job, get the house, get the retirement. Yeah, you know. it's, not necessarily, it's not necessarily that nowadays. Exactly. I mean, so you're seeing people. Hard, but you, I think, you know, people should go out there and work on their trades. So those are the jobs that come open. Baby boomers are retiring or passing away. And, you know, that's what's there, but, you know, people don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. And I know no. the younger generation really don't want to do that either, but that's where jobs are. And it, you're it's insane. high-paying jobs, you know. It, I mean? it is so. absolutely insane. And that, and you're right, those jobs, those trades are literally dying for people. And it's kind of this, like, um, you remember my friend Keith um, from mm-hmm. uh, Brio from Nashville and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he actually just got his uh, journeyman's card uh, to be, to be a electrician. He, um, nice. you know, and dude, super educated. Um, you know, when I met him, he had actually started at NKU or at Northern Kentucky to be a lawyer and then shifted gears and went to, and wanted to do like early childhood education and quite honestly, found that his job pathway was really close to him in early childhood education because of cuts in edu- and because of cuts to education budgets <clears throat> that he decided to, he, and he had, was not the, hand, not, by his own admission, he's not a, he was not a handy guy, but he saw that there was a need and he went out and, and said, you know what, I might have all this education, but it's not getting me anywhere. And he's, you know, doing great for himself. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so that's, that, that, that's the future. If, if people, kids want jobs, you know, that's, that's what right. they should do, go into the skilled trades. And, but they don't, I mean, you know, who's more than willing to do that if they get the opportunity are the various immigrants that are in this exactly. country 
that are trying to make and make a better life for themselves. You know, normally they're taking the, the jobs that no one wants. Well, if no one wants these jobs, well, okay, yeah, sure. I'm sure they'll be more than happy to go out there and learn a skilled trade and provide for their family. You know, absolutely. No, you know, no Americans want to do it. For sure. And, and what's funny though, is that people, is that, you know, honestly, white people will be like, well, those people are, you know, those immigrants are taking the jobs and therefore they don't have to pay as much. But the reason why that the pay isn't guaranteed like it should be is because so many of these people did everything they could to support candidates in the 80s that destroyed labor unions. And, you know, not only was it the manufacturing um, that, you know, places, like I said, places like Dayton, places like Indianapolis, I mean, even in Southern Indiana, you know, where they still have Seagram's and some of that stuff, but, you know, heavy industry is gone by large. And it's because a lot of it, it comes down to, um, you know, our, our leaders choosing to disenfranchise labor unions. And now people are like, well, these jobs don't pay anything and I have to have two and three jobs. Well, in a way we kind of did it to ourselves. Right. Right. No, that's true. That's true. So tell us, I know you've, um, you've gone to a few different protests and, mm-hmm. and marches and everything the past couple of days and you know, you're in, you're in Denver, you're pretty much yep. in downtown Denver, close to that, close to the capital city there and kind of in the middle of everything that was going on there. And after the George Floyd, mm-hmm. you know, incident, you know, with the police brutality and everything and then kind of the aftermath, you know, how do you describe that experience for us? And what, what made you decide to, be, to kind of get out there? Well, first off, to, um, just to describe the experience. So we live um, three blocks south of the Capitol on Sherman Street. So right and right smack in the epicenter, um, our neighborhood's called Capitol Hill. Um, everything is kind of built around the state capitol here. And um, so let's see. Thursday, I guess, when, no, Thursday was the first night of protests here. And things were kind of touch and go. And then essentially the police broke things up. And when the police broke things up, they kind of came in a little hot and heavy. Um, Mm -hmm. I had worked that night and um, I was actually closing that night. And Amanda took uh, Crosley out. And she said, you know, while she was walking, um, walking, and she had popped up by the Capitol earlier to kind of see what was happening with the demonstrations and whatnot. and she took the she took the dog around, and she basically left our left our apartment building, and everything was kosher. By the time she came back around, couldn't breathe, had caught um, basically tear gas wafting down from the state capitol, right. as they because it had gotten to be about ten o'clock, and that was when they said, "All right, we're done with this for the night." Right. Um, so that was, and then it got, and then um, kind of a few other things like broke out in and around the neighborhood. Um, she, we ended up having to like close all of our windows that night just because there was literally just tear grass wafting through the neighborhood. Right. Um, so that was Thursday and then Friday things just kind of, you could just tell things were going to happen and there were demonstrations during the day. Uh, police were really out and really out kind of in full force. Um, lots of standoff between protesters and the police. Um, and then, so basically I were, I had worked that night as well. And I guess, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I'm basically doing a whole, my retail store does a whole lot. We do most of our business via 
uh, delivery right now bait right. because of like the uh, COVID shutdowns. And so uh, it was a bit of an interesting day routing uh, deliveries throughout uh, the city without like going through the dead center of the city. And uh, I got home and uh, by that point in time, things were absolutely crazy. Uh, there had been multiple confrontations between protesters and uh, the police. But after talking to Amanda, who had kind of been up, uh, up at the protests and back at our place one, uh, a couple of times through the course of the day, <clears throat> she, she was like, things are going to get weird tonight. There's definitely a different element filtering in. And so we kind of, like I basically said, hey, come on, let's go check this out. Um, right. So we went up and just see kind of what was happening. And then Friday, Friday night was the first night that it really felt that it trend that it it was treated like a riot and police moved in hard on people um definitely popping tear gas flashbang grenades right um so all you know all that was happening and we were trying to like kind of like push up to get at least like a sense of what was going on um even just be able to document it and we got to probably within about two blocks of the capitol um yeah, about two blocks from the Capitol, at which point in time we just said we have to turn around because um, both of us just had like tears streaming out of our eyes, nose, noses right. were running, uh, lungs were kind of starting to burn. So, um, so we basically came back in, you know, rinsed ourselves off. And then uh, our apartment actually has both east and south facing windows and is essentially, it's basically a whole corner of windows. And we're on the fourth floor of our building, and because of it, the capital area, um, there's not very many like high rises. So we were able to just kind of like spot, and you could see where the police uh, were basically like pushing the protesters and right. like basically driving them back. And um, you know, when like I mentioned like the 01 riots in Cincinnati before, that that all happened. Hell, that was our freshman year at Hanover. Um, right. So we were at Hanover, not, you know, experiencing that. And even like the time that Amanda and I spent living in the West End, which was right about the time that, um, that the uh, Trayvon Martin shooting happened. So there was a lot of demonstrations mm -hmm. happening there. I had never actually seen anything like this. And, right. um, and then, and but a lot of it was also though, it was an element of, um, a lot of white people that basically came in identifying themselves, you know, I'm your ally, I'm here for this. And ultimately it also drew in a bit of, uh, you know, of an anarchist element, a whole lot of uh, our neighborhood. They've, take, they've really done a lot to remove a lot of the graffiti, but I'm actually glad that a lot of it's still there because, you know, it's like a scar. You got to address right. a scar when you look at it. It doesn't matter if it's a good scar or a bad scar, you still have to address it. Um, sure. But a lot of the stuff was, it was a lot of like, fuck one, two, which apparently is like anarchist code for uh, fuck the police. Um, a lot of ACAB, which is all cops are bastards. Uh, a lot of anarchy A's and things like that. Um, kind of like spray paint in the neighborhood. And it was like, okay, understand. This is like what's happening. And, um, and actually on Saturday, on Saturday, Saturday it was a lot of that crowd as well. Um, you definitely saw more peaceful, but forceful and really, really charged up like demonstrations being led by the African-American community, <clears throat> actually in memorial with George Floyd. 
but the, and Brianna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery and, you know, mm-hmm. just the, you know, the recent coupling or grouping in a long list. Um, right. And then as night, and I actually worked um, days um, all last weekend. So I was home. I got home basically, you know, right as you started to creep into like that late afternoon period and you, you could see like there was a flip and like you would start to see um, a lot of the, actually a lot of the black folks would start to filter out and there would be a lot more white people in, um, you know, uh, dressed all in black, uh, a lot of, an- you know, a lot of like anarchy paraphernalia, um, right. you know, I mean, and let's be serious. I live, I live in Denver, so we do have a little bit of like an Antifa culture here. Um, right. So, and, and Saturday was quite honestly, one of the most, uh, it was, it was pretty goddamn intense. Uh, because basically the police moved on, the police essentially moved on the protesters at about five o'clock, um, because they had set up outside of the, uh, basically the district police station. Right. And so there was basically an incident that happened there. And that's probably, I'd say about a mile and a mile, mile and a half from the state Capitol. Um, so basically that group had gotten pushed out of there, came back and, essentially hit um, the state capitol right about the same time that it was starting to get to be about dark and legitimately shit just popped off. Mm-hmm. Cops uh, at one point in time, like they had taken, uh, they had taken um, like portable, like chain link fencing that, you know, like really tall, like you put around a construction site because there was a right. uh, monument that was being constructed right there by where the protest was happening and they basically took that and built a barricade with that and um like big construction road signs and then like the police just started moving towards it it was almost like uh like something out of the movie 300 just like moving or uh, game of thrones just like moving forward with riot shields and just like stomp down essentially the barrier that they set up and then just start like opening up on them with like pepper balls and tear gas and i mean this is i mean hell that's it five o'clock that's not even dark so i mean right, like, right. and that they had actually the governor had actually called out the national guard and you know we're we're sitting here and like i said we, we kind of have the catbird seat so we can see like a pretty much 180 degree view and you know you can you can hear the sirens the, the police and the news helicopters are super low um and then like you it was weird. We never saw a demonstration on either, like the streets on either side of us directly. It was both one street over. So like we could actually sit, we were sitting here watching them basically get pushed up one street. Um, at the end of that street, um, they actually set up a, they, they had, uh, well, they were essentially pausing against the police and the police were hitting them with pepper balls. They uh, had pushed uh, about four or five dumpsters into the middle of the street and just lit those up. And it was really? just like, I mean, it was yeah. I, I legitimately between what, so we had our, the news that we normally watch on uh, our television, we had Amanda's uh, laptop pulled up watching essentially an aerial feed from a different police station and hearing it just right. going on outside of our doors. I mean, it, it felt like honestly living in a war zone in a way. I mean, no one like no one's directly shooting you, right. but when you're hearing flashbang grenades going off and you're yeah, just hearing you're crowds hearing, of people and like ch- and choppers sure. like flying in like super low, you're like, oh shit, like this is this is very very real. 
Um, right. So that was Saturday. And well, I guess so Saturday morning, because like I said, this is our neighborhood. Um, we both, Amanda and I both got up and we went and, you know, the state, state capital had been tagged all over the place. A lot of the windows had either been boarded up or broken. Um, right. Right where it, right where the state capital is. Obviously, there's a cluster of city and county and state buildings. Uh, a lot of those had windows busted out. Um, the uh, public library right there had had some windows busted out. But, I mean, there was just a lot of, it was a lot of tagging. And one thing that I thought that was really striking is, you could see where there had been earlier in the day demonstrations with like sidewalk chalk. And you know, that was like a lot of no peace, no justice, black mm -hmm. lives matter, that type of stuff. But then what was messed up is like on top of that, you would see the spray paint and the all cops are bastards or. Right. There's actually, they, I'm, they're leaving it up. And I think it, I'm glad that the city's leaving it up in a way because it actually, I think, makes us confront a lot of hurt feelings of, about how communities feel about the police is um, it's actually a big piece that someone did in graffiti that just says, my only cop is officer down. Or uh, I'm sorry, my favorite cop is officer down. It's just like, well, right. like, that is legitimately how angry some people are with, a, with an institution of our state. Yeah. Um, so that was just Saturday. <laughs> or that, that was Saturday morning then right, Saturday right. night happened that's where we had like um, you know like the dumpster essentially the rolling dumpster fires and stuff um, mm. and here's the thing and, and then like well Sunday morning we went up and I think I made the remark to me because it was just basically the graffiti on Saturday on top of or the Sunday right. the Saturday night graffiti on top of the Friday day graffiti and that was where we really started to see a lot of outreach in the community and um okay. you just saw people i mean we were up there you saw other people up there just picking up garbage um other there was actually a um on one side of our state house there is a uh monument to the armenian genocide that occurred after world war one in right. turkey and uh we saw this guy and his daughter um daughter super young probably i mean how old are kids when they actually can walk around good three for you're not telling me on yeah. that one <laughs> but he had his like yeah. very young he had his very young daughter and we walked over and we're like um we were just we we're basically just talking to him right. and uh we were like hey are you part of a group because we were just trying to figure out find a way to get involved and he's like are you part of a group he's like no i actually saw on our uh, basically like our armenian group in in denver uh facebook page that they had like defaced like their memorial and like really like done a whole bunch of um, really inflammatory graffiti, whole lot, whole lot of F-bombs um, right like in the corner of the state house by where it sits. And he was actually out there. It was one of the most like striking things I saw through all of this. He was actually, out, his daughter was spraying, you know, um, essentially paint remover in a spray bottle on it. And he's scrubbing it with a scrub brush and it was it was you know it was just really moving and then on sunday during the day you saw that i feel like that was when you saw a lot of um essentially like the african-american community leaders a lot of church leaders kind of really coming out like hey like stop the violence because your our message is getting lost in what and essentially your destruction and you know in a way like i've i've seen so many signs of you know the martin luther king quote of a, a, 
Riot is the voice of the unheard. <clears throat> and uh, like one of my personal favorites, I've always actually loved this quote, is uh, JFK said, those who make peaceful revolution <clears throat> those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. And what, and then so Sunday, um, we actually had relatively like a super peaceful day. And there was a march from, basically our curfew started last week at eight o'clock. And at eight o'clock, there was a march from the state capitol to the district police house or the district police quarters. And um, there was a standoff there. And it was a peaceful standoff. And finally, the police said, all right, we're done with this and just moved in on them. And that was the only point in time that it turned violent. And with that, you saw that was kind of our last night of, you know, real what I would consider, you know, unrest. And then right. on Monday, you start seeing a lot of op-eds from, you know, like a, not, a lot of it's anonymous online postings, but a lot of it is actually, you know, from uh, people like quote unquote leaders of anarchist group because there's nothing more of a, you know, oxymoron than organized anarchy. But, um, right. <laughs> uh, so like people in that group basically like saying, Hey, what we did was we came in to essentially to break things and mess things up in a way to rate, draw people's attention to your cause. Like you can't ignore what these people are talking about. And if you are, we're going to come here and we're going to literally break things. Still not cool, not right. But I will say that under that you know under that formula we have we've had not we have had over a week of peace there's been really no issues here there have been daily demonstrations um amanda had amanda's gone up and she has participated in at least one thing every single day um right. i've been working so I, and most of them have been happening during the day or happening basically as i'm getting off work so I wasn't able to do a whole lot, but then um, actually this weekend, I, I somehow had an entire weekend off, which I, <laughs> I probably can't count on one hand how many times <laughs> that's happened in like the last like 15 years. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we were actually able, we went, actually went up on Friday, on Friday to the state capitol and there was largely a sit-in that had been staged and, um, you know, it was really surreal to take in how in one week's time, it literally was a war zone with riot cops and people and as you know, people like geared up because they know they're getting ready to get tear gassed and just absolutely having a standoff to we're there one, one um, week later and the state they've actually like the state capital has gone totally black for over a week now. Um, but one of the organizers of the demonstration on Friday night, they actually brought a projection screen and were projecting various images up on the state house. Um, they ended up turning into a uh, impromptu birthday party for Brianna Taylor. And it was uh, just a really big sense of community as a whole. Right. And then, um, so that was Friday. Then uh, Saturday, we actually went up and participated in a uh, marching demonstration. and. We had actually had intents to be up there much longer than what we were, uh, but I never really knew what hail was <laughs> until I came to Colorado. And uh, yeah, when we get thunderstorms, <laughs> you know. there's about a 99% <laughs> chance that we're getting hail. 
and right. we were actually out listening to uh, some speakers on Saturday, and it started like wind started kicking up, and then like it started raining. We're like, okay, yeah, you know, we're good with this, we're good with this, and then as soon as like the hail started, we're like, all right, we know we know how the rest of, rest of this day goes. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, so we ended up like having a little bit of a brief time on Saturday, but on Sunday, which was the thing I really wanted to participate in, um, there's a so basically all the DPS high schools and actually it might even be lower that to middle schools as well. Mm -hmm. um, they have, you know, student led organizations and they, and one of the student led organizations had put together a uh, March for yesterday and um, it had a backing of uh, a couple of members of the school board. But one of the people that we've, one of the community activists that we've really kind of become enamored with and we, who we really support um, he, he's actually a 21 year old member of our school district or of our school board. His name's, uh, is actually, I'm sorry, I was spaced on his name. His name's actually Tay Anderson. Literally dude is 21 years old, sits on our school board and listening to him talk. What's that? This sounds kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. I, know oh. that I wouldn't be responsible enough at that age to hold a position like that. At all. Dude, it is unbelievable. And to hear the kid talk is he's inspiring. And I'm like, man, you really make me feel like I messed up. <laughs> but, um, but so we actually uh, participated in his march, uh, or the march that his students and him and then uh, this other uh, community activist and organizer that we really like a lot. He actually is the dean of students at another uh, DPS high school. And they had, <clears throat> they had all kind of joined together for this. And it was about a three or four hour Sorry. march, um, like all through downtown. We actually shut down uh, Colfax, which is uh, I or US 40, um, right. like um, all the way out here. So, you know, that happened. It, super peaceful march. And it was really just inspiring to kind of see how a community has came together. And also right. to, you know, in a way, you really hope that this time things are different, that things feel different, and that there really is in a way to affect change. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to get involved with when it came to the kids is because like I said, I think education is the biggest way that you make a lasting impact and you actually make systemic change. It's, a it's the long game. It doesn't get results immediately, quickly and fast. Cause I mean, if you think about it, you're really making an, a, a 12, 12 to 15, 16 year investment. But if you want to factor in someone right. going to college or someone going to a trade school and a lot of people want to see a return on investment more in that, but you can have short-term fixes, but education, I firmly believe is the way that you really make change happen in a culture and in a society. Right. Do you think that other cities around the country will be able to kind of come together like Denver has? I hope what so. Scenes? Cause <clears throat> I know it's it's hard it's hard to tell in like Southwest Ohio how mm -hmm. it's going to be at least just looking at my social media feed. It's like <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people are I know a lot of people are keyboard warriors and stuff like that, but yeah, it's like it's crazy. It, I like, mean, in a way, on. I I think so. Um, it's it's kind of weird um, out here a little bit in a way because you know Denver right. it it is a major city. Um, and, you know, we actually do have, we have a, pr we have pretty deep roots in the, Af in African-American culture. Um, right. our, our five points neighborhood was largely known as the Harlem of the West. And 
there's actually a massive uh, influx of investment right now in that neighborhood, actually for black owned businesses. Um, Chauncey Billups from, uh, you know, the Chicago Pistons, he's actually, he's a Denver native. His brother's actually Detroit, the head coach right. at Detroit, yeah, Detroit Pistons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so like Chauncey, he's actually from out here in Denver. And right. um, he had like, he has these plans to basically open a restaurant um, in the first floor of this hotel that's totally being revitalized. Um, and it was actually kind of the epicenter of what jazz culture was for the Western part of the United States, because it was a, it was honestly a black owned hotel going all the way back to what they like to call the pioneer days out here. Um, right. And it was a place, it was one of the few places outside of, you know, like in New York or some of your East coast cities to where, um, actually, to where black jazz musicians could actually stay where they were also performing at. So we've, we've got this like super like deep rooted African-American culture in Denver, but by and large, the African-American population is kind of like a small segment of, of the overall population. Right. Um, are we, we honestly have a much larger uh, Latino population. And a lot of that also is indigenous and native peoples as well. Um, so sometimes it, I, I do think that maybe our, maybe our anger and our issues don't necessarily run as deep in terms of a uh, black white sense out here. Right. You know, I mean, let's be serious. Black Klansmen also took place here in Colorado and, you know, Denver can kind of be this rosy enclave at times. Um, right. But right. I mean, hell there's, a, there's an entire neighborhood on the East side of Denver that's named after a former mayor who is also a member of the Klan, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, but I think that because Denver by and large, it is, it's a younger city. It's a largely progressive city. Um, and it's able to kind of like come together a little bit in a way that there, there, you know, there are other cities that have way more deep rooted, way more systemic, bigger, deeper beefs than what Denver does. I mean, even, well, I'll, we'll just put it in the context to where you and I both know. I mean, if you think about Cincinnati, like Cincinnati has deep roots in terms of racial conflict. And I, I, and, you know, talking to, you know, talking to my mom and dad, talking to some people from back home, you know, it does seem that it seems like this weekend was like pretty chill, but it also seems that like, this is an issue that sometimes it feels like you turn a corner, but you never really seem to. Um, it's like that corner just actually is yeah. a chicane and there's like three more twists and turns that you have to go through. Right. Um, but you know, I, I still follow the, a lot of the politics and a lot of the stuff, um, back in Cincinnati, uh, just one that as someone that tends to be involved in or interested in politics on a national level, I do think mm. that Cincinnati and Ohio as a whole still really can be a bellwether for what is happening on like in a key segment of this country. Right. Um, but also it's in in a way, it's still a place I actually have deep roots with and I still care about. So, you know, I care about when I hear about the demonstrations that are happening in Washington Park because, you know, that's where we used to take Crosley at. Um, I care when I hear about 
protests and whatnot happening in the West or in the West End because the last place we lived at prior to moving to Denver was in the West End and City West apartments. And, you know, like I care when I see about what's happening in those communities. And quite honestly, I, I know that it was, it was so interesting when we lived in the West End um, because quite honestly, we were the only white people in like for like blocks and right. it was, I believe it. And it was super interesting at times. I mean, there, Amanda and I have honestly like bantered back and forth, calling it like a sociological experiment at times. But it was really interesting to see what it was like to be a minority. And because some, you know, like our, uh, our neighbor that we actually shared a balcony with, she was super welcoming and she was awesome. And, you know, and there were other people where you would definitely get the side eye and you would definitely, <laughs> you, you know, you catch this, you catch some weird looks and stuff. And, you know, like we just like told people and I was like, man, I'm not here to, ch- I'm not here to change this. I actually like this. I'm li- here living here for a reason. I just want to add my thread to y'all's tapestry and just be a part of your community. And, right. and, it, was, and it was really interesting just to see what it was like to be, accepted by a community and but also at the same point time to have to earn that too and i also like when you talk about like the things i've done that have created my perspective that's you know even though that was only for a year before we moved out here that still really is something that totally shaped how i viewed things because let's be serious there's not many white people that can say they've ever been in a situation where you've been a full-blown minority (laughs) that is probably (laughs) true i would say that that list is is very small very limited for sure, for sure. But I mean, yeah. I, I hope so. I, you know, I I think I, I listened to um, it's the uh, That's So Cincinnati podcast that's right. put out by two from the Inquirer every every uh, week, and you know they had uh, Chris Seelbach on, uh, and I think you know Seelbach was some. I, I still remember when he ran his first campaign. It was actually one of the first times that I felt like I really wanted to like get, get involved in politics on like a local level. And, you know, I believe that there are really good, there are really good people in government that really want to make change. And I think that they, and I think like, honestly, like, and I guess obviously I'm talking about Cincinnati primarily here. I think that there's really good people that want to make a big change, but there's also a lot of people that want to keep things the way they are. And there's people, and, you know, Cincinnati's in a tricky situation because, you know, it's the city and then Hamilton County is the county and, you know, they're not a metro government. Um, I, I can tell you after living um, in Indianapolis, Cincinnati and Denver, two of which have metro governments, there is one that has, that seems like it is an absolute train wreck all the time. And it is right. Cincinnati. It's because right. yeah. it seems like on one end you have the county the county is a way more conservative bent. You have the city, which is a way more of a liberal bent. And right. honestly, in the scenario that we are kind of in terms uh, politically, um, you know, both nationally, locally, and all up and down the board, you, you, you have a really hard time if you're on one side getting along with the other. And right. I think that's quite honestly, sometimes that, I wish that, it shouldn't be quite honestly sometimes, what it actually is, is I really just wish that people could get in a room and sit down with each other and have a conversation and figure out that realistically, 
Like, yeah, you might believe like all the way out here and you might believe all the way out here, but where your core at is like in here. And you can always find something to agree upon. And, you know, even if you think that, you know, all cops are bad, or even if you think that all cops are great, I think that at least somewhere in there, you know, people can agree, well, yeah, there's probably, there's probably a couple of cops that are bad. There's probably a couple of cops that are good. And who's going to speak up when someone's doing something bad and who's going to commend those for doing something well. Um, right. And just, in, and you know, same, same thing there, that it doesn't matter what we can say that are going to dislike people of another race. And unfortunately, that's just a part of our culture that I don't, you can't do anything. I don't know what you can do about it. You can ostracize it. You can put it out there and you can just be like, you know what, I'm going to choose to not associate with those people. And eventually they just quite honestly, just breed themselves out. <laughs> and they just like, y'all just go off and do your own thing. And hopefully we can take everything we can take a society where we can view people for their worth and their value and have a society that works for everybody. I mean, I think sure. that I feel like most people, if you really took, if you really took, you know, political parties and and preconceived expectations and bias out of things, people could really honestly agree that we want the same things, and that if we can, if we can just kind of come to an agreed upon way to get there, we could be, we could actually have a better society. We could actually be, you know. Um, it, it, it's weird. I keep, I've been using this quote a lot lately, but we can actually be that bright shining light on the hill, um, which is weird because that's a Reagan quote, and it's not really my boy. <laughs> but it, but it's true though. I mean, and I, I think that a lot of times we get lost and yelling at each other and having loud conversations, whereas you just if we actually are able to talk and hear. And in a way, going back to that whole like Hanover Montessori model, if we're able to like come from come at each other from a place of trust where we can actually talk and hear each other, we could get ourselves a whole hell of a lot further. So I mean, that's ideal. You know yeah, what I mean? <laughs> not everybody comes from like the Hanover school of thought when it comes to arguments and you know discerning things and you know, listening and trying to to understand the other person's point of view you know, properly. I mean, how can we do that? Because everybody gets so frustrated. Everybody gets so defensive. We try to talk to them. When, uh, at least from what I've seen, you know, specifically, white people. Yeah. When people try to talk to them about different things, say, like, even, even this, you know, you know, systematic, you know, systemic uh, racism or or even white privilege, you know. And I, you know, I, I empathize with the uh, uh, the 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 lower the lower class white people people that grew up poor because mm -hmm. they're like white privilege like what kind of privilege am I getting you know like yeah. I've been living dirt for like all my you know all my life like, I haven't seen anything richer I haven't anything privileged in my life or whatever and so you know they don't see it that way or they have a harder mm -hmm. I, I picture them having a harder time you know, trying to get a grasp of that concept because they didn't exactly live the most glamorous life leading up to it, you know. But yeah. ultimately just trying to trying to trying to figure out like try to figure out how to get people to talk, how to get people to try to understand and be willing to understand. You know, because basically, you know, in Ohio, 
I hear the well, all lives matter. You know, that's that's what I always hear. You know, it's like I hear all lives matter. I hear you know don't go against the police, and then I hear um, you know well what's going on with you know, with the black on black crime. You know, I don't see anybody talking about that or whatever. So I mean, I, all, those those are those are three arguments that I hear and yeah. I see constantly on my social media thread, constantly. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean? you're uh, so. you're in luck because I actually just had this uh, pretty much these same three points with a conversation with my dad just the other day. Um, right. So <laughs> uh, for, first and foremost, uh, in terms of well, one, if one of, when you talk about people that have grown up, grown up poor, um, and they're like, well, what is white privilege? I, I, I'm not privileged. You know, I, my, my life kind of sucks. I think you said like, I've been living in dirt and where, where am I any better off? Well, like first and foremost, like that speaks to our earlier conversation we're talking about with class and it, it always would blow my mind when I lived in Cincinnati how, you know, I could be driving through, I could be driving through some of, you know, our poor white neighborhoods, um, which largely by and lay, by and way is an Appalachian based community that are in the, that honestly is their own unique subset that is kind of, that is this whole other, that, that it, honestly, it's a, it is a subset of white culture that quite honestly can identify um, more so with the the systemic poverty and classism of African Americans um, than pretty much any other subset. Uh, when I was when I was doing my master's studies, one of the books that we actually dove really deep into was written by a professor at NKU or at she was a professor at UC, and her um, her experience was actually running the reading lab, reading and writing lab um, for Cincinnati Public Schools at well at UC. And it primarily right. ser- serviced the uh, Appalachian community in the Price Hill area, Price Hills, essentially. And you know, and you know, and that is, and that is generational poverty that exists for a lot of these people. And when you drive past the, their homes, and you're seeing, you know, Mitt Romney uh, yard signs, and you're seeing, you know, Donald Trump yard signs, and I'm like, how are, how is what you are voting for really benefiting and in a way it doesn't what is essentially happening is it's the same it's the same it's the same level of class warfare that has been carried out by essentially the republican party since the nixon since nixon and reagan is that you find a way to turn essentially poor whites against the african-american community when in reality they're their path and their journey is more similar than it is dissimilar. And right. Right. so in a way you kind of vote against yourself, but also, <clears throat> thank you. <laughs> but also, um, th- so I that would be my first thing. Is, <laughs> yeah, she just zipped out. Um, so <laughs> that, that would be like my first thing is like legitimately like people, honestly, like poor white people and black people quite honestly got to be able to understand and see and see that they are have way more in common and way more of a united cause than what they are led to believe. It's not right. it's not an us or you scenario. It's a we scenario. Is how you get ahead. And then um, so that was one. The whole all lives matter thing. 
well, first off, all lives can't matter if black lives don't matter. That I mean, I, I heard right. that so many times over the course of, you know, this past, well, really the past two weeks. And it's true. And yeah, you know, by saying, you know, black lives matter, you're not saying, well, hey, white lives don't matter or brown lives don't matter or whatever lives don't matter. You're just saying, no, I matter. My life matters. My brother, you know, my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, my whomever, my best mm-hmm. friend, <laughs> your life matters. Right. And until like we recognize that and put the same value on that, how can you really say that all lives matter? And right. but people, and, man, people are entrenched, man. People are entrenched. I mean, they, they really, really are. Um, <laughs> and then like the, then the last thing that like, I kind of, um, in terms of like, well, the police aren't all bad. Well, no, they're not. First and foremost, and you know, it's another big thing that has kind of came up in the news in the last like couple of days is the whole like defund the police thing. When people are saying defund the police, they're not saying don't give the police money so that they can perform what their function is within society. Right. What they're saying is don't give them extra money on top of what they need to go get military vehicles to essentially turn themselves into a paramilitary force and it said, take that money and put that money into social services, invest that money into education, put that money into mental health counseling, put that money into drug counseling. And, um, and that, and that's where I think people are, that's one thing I think that gets lost in all of this. They're not saying take money away from the police that they need, take money from them that they don't necessarily need. That's an extra because You know, in our federal government, we spend more money on our military, like the actual military industrial complex, not taking care of the troops, not the VA. That is something that we could always spend more money on. But in terms of our arsenal, our military industrial complex that Dwight Eisenhower warned us about in the 50s, that is bigger than any other part of our economic spending year over year, point blank. And it is the same in terms of cities and states and counties for their police, state police, sheriffs, whatnot. And if you take some of that money away, if you take some of that money away from, you know, the military or the police, uh, essentially like the police budgets, you can actually do things to make the police less necessary. If you have more outreach into schools to and invest more in schools, you're going to have less people getting disenfranchised by the schools and then turning to either petty theft or honestly being on the streets. If you invest more in mental health counseling, you're going to see more people that are able to hold jobs and not be camping. Um, I mean, point blank, I mean, in Denver, we have a massive homeless problem. And by living in where Amanda and I live at, we live kind of in one of the like main epicenters of that as well. And a lot of those people are out here struggling with mental health and struggling with addiction. So maybe if we spend some money to those services, you're not going to have as much need for someone uh, spending money on people overdosing in the streets or having to spend money on incarcerating people because they're having a psychotic break. And so that... So one, that is one thing we could do in terms of the police. The other thing in terms of the police is, you know, you know as well as I that you know there, 
we all know like the story of the hero cop, the cop that dresses up like Batman, the cop that wants to stop and shoot hoops with the kids on, on his block. That's not the person like we're talking about when we talk about, about cops being bad. We're talking about the cops, quite honestly, like the, like the two dudes that pushed down the guy in Buffalo. Like the four, like one, the dude that literally killed George Floyd, and while well, three other dudes either participated or stood idly by. So yeah, those are bad yeah, cops. They stood. Yeah, those are bad cops. And the pro- my problem is, is not with the good cops, it's with the okay cops that are silent and make it okay for the bad cops. You know, they talk, you see, you see the, uh, the blue line flags for officers killed in duty. And obviously, yeah, it's tragic whenever anybody loses their life. Doesn't matter if you're a white cop, doesn't matter if you're a black cop, doesn't matter if you're a white, white civilian or if you're a black civilian. It's tragic when someone loses their life. But at the same point in time, your thin blue line of silence is what allows bad cops to exist. It's 57 cops from the crisis intervention unit in Buffalo, New York, resigning because two of their members on video essentially pushed down an old man and then one pulls, yeah. a, pulls a good cop off of him to keep marching through. Those are bad cops. And those 57, that's the silent cops that make people right. say, fuck the police and all cops are bastards. So if we figure that's, that is my answer when people are like, well, the cops are the good guys to whom, (laughs) you know, if you're a, if, you know, if you're my sister and my nieces and the cops show up at your house, it's a good thing. If, you know, if it's you and you know, your kids and Elena, is it always a good thing? Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that right there is, that's, that's the way, you know, to, for me that you have to flip it to people when it's like, well, all cops right. are good. To whom? And in what scenario? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I keep thinking like, all right, I, I probably shouldn't think like this, but I do. It's just me. It's how I, it's how I think about things. Like, all right, when, whenever the protests die down, because they're going to, mm-hmm. whenever you know, the riots die down because odds are they're not the same group that's doing the, the thing that's doing protesting is not the ones doing the looting. You know, Very true. More oftentimes than not. I'm sure I'm sure there are a couple, but it's people taking advantage of the situation that they mm-hmm. shouldn't be, really. But I don't know. I just wonder if we're really gonna be able to make any kind of change going forward altogether. And doing that, obviously, the white community is going to have to kind of embrace this and really, and really show everybody else, like you know, yeah, you know, these are these are good people, you know. Then they can say all lives matter because black mm-hmm. lives matter too, as far as the yeah. whole situation. And just I don't know, I just don't know, I just don't know if it's really going to change because I don't know this whole situation. I see people getting defensive more than anything they get defensive and they go back into their i don't want to say clans it's not really a clan we're but going you know, back they, into, we can go back into the tribal going to their, their tribal units mm-hmm. in one way or another and they retreat back that way so i just wonder if that's going to happen 
or are we really going to try to see change? It's going to take a long time for change to happen, but at least it seems like something seriously has started as far as, yeah. as, far as that. I mean, I certainly hope so. Um, I, I will say I do believe that things feel different this time. <clears throat> and again, you know, I preface that with also saying that I do live in a fairly progressive city. Um, right. I, I, I don't know. To be honest, um, I, I know obviously like we've touched on some like some pretty heavy things today, and you know I I, I can't help sometimes but like you know get a get a little political dig here and here uh, here and there, but yeah, honestly, because this show we with this show we usually stay away from politics. Yeah, we usually just don't go there. You know what I'm saying? But it's it's well, hard. I promise the next time I come back we'll on. just talk like beer and food. Yes, it's see perfect. <laughs> And plus, you, you but, are the resident genius, so <laughs> if, we, if we need some help on some trivia, we know you got our back. I'm just <laughs> multifaceted. Um, but, I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I think in a way, I try to be hopeful um, and think that, well, first and foremost, I, I guess what I have to say is, I don't think that there's honestly, there's any reconciliation that honestly happens between now and the end of the year is going to be <clears throat> pretty much done on an unofficial level. I right. don't really see there being any reconciliation between, you know, the the hardcore conservative right side, or you know, just easier said, your Trump base. I don't right. really see there being any type of reconciliation from the Trump base to where, honestly, the majority of American society is. Um, I, you know, in a way, it's, I think it's just going to get worse in the short run because <clears throat> while here, you know, we might be, I mean, hell, like we, Amanda and I were just talking earlier, like, well, I wonder if like, if it seems like the demonstrations are starting to die down. I said it was peaceful for an entire week and like we didn't and I'm, i actually had i literally drive through the middle where i told you they had set up a impromptu barricade i literally that's my road home that's the oh, really? street that i drive home every day so i legitimately haven't driven my normal route home right. in like two weeks and I, I got out of work today and just was and just kind of like went um as habit and I got to probably within a block of the state house, and I was like, "Ah, oh, shit, I'm on Broadway." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, oh, damn it!" And I'm like, "Well, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, all right. It looks like just like a normal day, you know. There's some people here in the park on this side, on the, the park on this side, you know. There's the there's the tent camp, and there's uh there's you know there's a homeless issue, and you know it is what it is, and." Right. Um, I get I get home and I'm telling man she's like well I wonder if you know maybe just nothing was going on today that it's like we're now entering the phase to where it's like okay demonstrations are only going on the weekends and pro and it was after like the time like you and I had talked when you were putting the kids to bed um, and we started hearing people outside and we literally went and there was actually uh, two different demonstrations that went by tonight so even still. You know, on Monday, day 12, you know, we're, you're still seeing people peacefully demonstrating, chanting, and marching in the streets. Right. Um, 
So when, yes, that gives me the ultimate rosy hope that that can happen. Um, but at the same point in time, I also, yeah. Um, but also at the same point in time, you also have the president who is tweeting out inflammatory language and, um, you know, he did what he did last week. Um, he, he really could have been my, in my eyes, presidential and kind of led the way on this completely. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's a point in time he the where whether you missed on purpose or not, but in a way, it just it's on brand. Um, while the president will say and claim, and his supporters will claim, saying many of his supporters, I should say, will say and claim that he is not a racist or not a white supremacist. You know, he's got a, he's got a, got a long history of inflaming a lot of racial tensions, going back right. to time in the 1980s, interjecting himself in uh, cases in New York City court where he's taking out full page ads in the New York Times. Um, you know, it, it's a pattern. And what happened after Charlottesville, where you don't just like flat out come out and denounce white supremacists, and you're like, there's good people on both sides, but then you're wanting to like bang on people for what's happening now and telling, and telling governors they need to get out there and dominate in the streets and whatever the hell that photo op was with a Bible, like, <laughs> outside of the church yeah um, well, I mean, that was funny. Uh, like first off that was the most awkward grip i've ever seen on a bible <laughs> and uh <laughs> and i mean that that was odd um i did see another picture uh of another world leader holding a book in a similar grip and it was from about 19 like 29 in black and white in germany <laughs> and uh right. lo look it up it, it's my comp but it's it's the same grip so until like until like though until you have something you can't have peace and you can't have calm when you have the leader of your country dumping gasoline on every time you get the coal you get the fire down the coals and right uh, I, I agree there and until that you know and honestly i mean i i really really hope that things are going to play out smoothly and um, November, and I really hope that a Democrat went, that Joe Biden wins, and we're hope, and I think he's someone that hopefully serves one term and then steps away. <laughs> um, but I right. and honestly go, I think he's a good person that could bridge the gap between a lot of the hurt feelings and both our African American communities, our younger communities that feel like they're not being heard. Well, yeah, he's not their candidate of choice. I think he's also right. smart enough to listen to him. But I also think he's enough um, rooted in the center to where he can appeal to, um, quite honestly, that old school um, blue collar Democrat. Um, right. You know, the right. the, a lot of the Democrats that, you know, you know, um, in, in and around like, you know, Dayton and in the Midwest that quite honestly flipped for Trump probably for the first time in a long time, voted for Republican first time in a long time. Um, and I think that that is one way that we can maybe go to finally putting some aloe on these, on these burns that we've all had festering for a minute, but right. until like some, but I mean, that also, like I said, I'm optimistic and <laughs> let's, and I also have very little faith that if uh, Trump doesn't want in November, that things are going to go smoothly. <laughs> I mean, 
right. I, I, I like to gamble every now and then, and uh, that's not a long shot bet that I'm willing to put money on. Yeah, no, not at all. Me either. Me either. But, uh, you so. know, until then, I think that the, on, the way forward is that, you know, there's people like you and I um, and, you know, like Dane and our friends and DJ that have, they quite honestly are, are able to speak to each other. And I think one way that we can really work to affect change, even at a very, very micro level, is just having these conversations with ourselves. And it's something that quite honestly, if you have these conversations and you're not a little bit uncomfortable, you're probably honestly not doing it right. Because I think that, you know, you mentioned something about white privilege earlier. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually try, I was trying to explain white privilege to my mom and dad uh, the other day. <laughs> and, and, you right. know, and, and, and you hear a lot of the, the things that people say back to you. It's like, you know, I work hard. I've earned what I've got. And, you know, I, I've not gotten, I've not gotten a handout or anything any time in my life. And I've earned, I've earned everything I've got. And yes, people have, and no one is trying to take that away from them by saying, Hey, you need to recognize white privilege. Part of what white privilege is one on a good way to look at it is that, you know, you kind of start with a leg up. You really do. You can say everyone has equal opportunity, but not everyone has an equal starting point. Right. And right. that's something, and to try to act like that's not a reality is not realistic you have right. to acknowledge that not everyone is coming from the same place or starting from the same base you know the kid that comes to school that's hungry and didn't have his mom check his homework or his dad check his homework the night before because they're working a third shift or they're working a double shift and they got up and they had a pop tart or whatever for breakfast and they're coming in you know that kid doesn't have the same opportunity for you know, the kid whose mom or dad checked their homework the night before and had a packed right. lunch and all that. So until you recognize that, like one, that by recognizing that difference, that's not, that one, that is recognizing that you are privileged and you do have an advantage. But for me, and this is how I try to explain to my mom and dad, is that when you want to talk about white privilege, um, I think this is, you will understand this fairly well because, you know, We've known each other for a really long time. Um, right. I'm kind of a mouthy person. Like I've never been afraid. Yeah, I've never wrong. been afraid to write a check that I think I could cash. And what I try and trying to explain like white privilege to my mom and dad was, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but at the end of the day, if I want to smart off to a cop, or if I want to say something to a cop if I'm being arrested. I don't have to worry about on the plus side, my face being banged off of a hood or banged off of a trunk or put through a window or getting tased or honestly getting, you know, a chokehold put on me and losing my life. And that's because as a white person, I don't generally have to worry about that. And that's even with me, honestly, kind of being an asshole. And for me, that is the way until like we can like really recognize that and see that like just even by how how you're approached different in a situation. Um, I don't I don't know what it's like with in Ohio right now with wearing masks, but in Denver to pretty much go into any store, any um, restaurant, anything for carryout, you have to have a mask on. And from and I I've said to Amanda many times I was like when I put a mask on in my car before I walk into a building. 
it is the weirdest thing because I feel like <laughs> you only do that if you can write a rapper place. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I know I can put a, I can put my mask on, walk into um, the quick grab store down at the end of my block, walk in, they not have what I'm looking for and walk out. Right. I can't say that about a person of color. And until like we can recognize that, we honestly can't identify what white privilege is. Because for me, I feel like that is it in and of a nutshell. One, you by and large have, have increased access to opportunity. And two, you don't have to worry about someone automatically assuming the worst about you. Losing it. What's that? I said I'm losing it. Oh, <laughs> sorry, man. No, you're good. I thought I thought your screen froze, so I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> no, I, no!" I was like, "That, that, that that's all I got." <laughs> yeah. Now, man. Now, I mean, that's that's where we are. And uh, I was talking with someone. They're saying like, you know, the area. You know, we feel like well, the white community that that do want to want to learn more. Feel like the African American community needs to to teach them or whatever, as far as everything. I'm like, yeah, a lot of people in the African American community are probably like, you know, we don't want to teach you. You know, you should be able to just learn on your own. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's true. From there, but I mean, I, you know, I, can see, I've, I, can see, I can see both ways as far as that. So I've been fortunate that I've had, a, you know, I've had a good amount. I've had some very good teachers that have uh, been very accepting of uh, me and my uh, maybe misinformed ways at times. And, uh, but you like to argue. That's true. <laughs> I, I like, you know, man, at the end of the day, if you can't, def even if you try to defend, and this is kind of funny, and I think this is one thing that people should remember, you know, you can, you can evolve and change your opinions over time. And right. sometimes while trying to defend an opinion you might have, you might realize it, well, I don't really believe that. Or is that what I really believe? And you can always amend things. And right. I've always been a big proponent of saying that, um, you, well, and it's not, not a racial thing at all. Like you can't live in a world of black and white because there are very, very few absolute truths and absolute falsehoods. There's very, very few, you know, absolute rights and absolute wrongs. Right. Everything in the world generally tends to fluctuate in some form of, sh of a shade of gray. And I think that what we have to do as people to really kind of achieve our like best understanding and highest level of understanding, not only of ourselves, but also of other people is being able to exist on that continuum. So exist flows somewhere in that like shade of gray. And by doing that, you give yourself wiggle room to evolve and change because, you know, I can tell you right now, as you know, we were talking earlier, kind of chronicling where I where I came from, or how I went from way I believed one way to where I am today. That right. if someone is said like, well, well, for, first and foremost, I, I am so glad that social media did not exist for the vast majority of our lives. <laughs> like first and foremost, flat out. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, but second of all, and like bad news. And when you and when you do see like, and sometimes when I see you know like, let's be serious. Usually it's like either a white um, athlete, like uh, Josh Hader got wrapped up in some stuff. Uh, like a, I think it was like a year or two ago, and it's like man, like we are banging on this dude for things he said on Twitter as a 17-year-old high school student. And at the end of the day, do you really want to be held culpable for this or held to court for the stuff that you said when you were 17? Because I know I sure as hell don't. Right. (laughs) And and at the end of the day, like, I feel like sometimes when we, like, really, like, tear into people for things that they said, you know, in their past, especially if there's been nothing but a good body of work leading like out beyond that it we really take away someone's ability to grow and to change and i think that's one that's a huge disservice we can do to people right right i got you man i got you now i wonder through our conversation this evening if you think we hit any of the hard questions I mean, it, I'm not going to lie. You didn't ask me uh, what my favorite shot was. <laughs> I didn't get I didn't get asked about my shoes. I feel like I didn't get any softballs. <laughs> I know, you know, you really didn't know. What, 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 <laughs> we just kind of dove right in. But, I mean, let's be serious. That's kind of – what did you expect? <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, yeah, we did kind of dive right in. We got to have you back on, though, because I was yeah. talking to Dane. You know, Dane's on vacation right now. He's in Dewey Beach Oh yeah. right now. I mean, so it might as well be. It, that's kind of like Dane's, like, I feel like that's Dane's happy place. It kind of is. That and um, Pudding Bay. I told him, like, yeah. like, we should try to go to Pudding Bay. Well, not now because COVID, but, you know, maybe next summer go to Pudding Bay. It's all going to be Dane's awesome. The only so guy, like, Dane's the only guy I know that would be happy about going by coastal to Pudding Bay and Dewey Beach. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be on board with both. Let's go, let's go to Cali too. Why not? I'm like, yeah. I'll yeah, no, no. I was actually, uh, I was listening to the uh, podcast uh, from this week, trying to get the cadence down. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, man. We uh, there's there, there's there's some funny stuff we come up with. You should hear like some of the meetings we have before we actually do the podcast. That's usually where the funny stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, when you're throwing yeah. it at the wall, you never know what's going to stick. Oh yeah, no, for sure. For yeah, sure. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, man. Like, I really enjoy it, and it's been one. Thanks for having me on. I do appreciate it, and yeah, yeah no problem for asking me. And uh, um, but also, like, I really enjoyed, you know, listening to you guys and the early stuff with DJ. To uh, I, I miss you guys, and definitely uh, beers are way overdue. Hundred percent. And I know we were originally going to talk about and you know, try to figure out where we're going to have the next board meeting. That's true. Um, that was something we had uh, put on the table. That's something we put on the table. So I might, I might get pushed back a little bit. But initially... We might, we might have to look at 2021. I know. We might have to look at 2021 to see see what's up with that. So, but you know, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on. I know Dane said he'd be excited having you on. It'd be a good time. It'd be, I'm sure it'd be hilarious. And <laughs> yeah, next time we definitely it. need to be way more lighthearted because not going to lie, that was a little heavy. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was heavy. That, that's that's heavier than what we normally deal with on this show. Not yeah. really our style, but you know, sometimes you gotta do that. Yeah. Well, some sometimes you gotta let that you gotta you know push some heavy weights to be, get to get the good feeling. <laughs> that, that, that's true. That's true, <laughs> man. That's true. So, but oh man, 
I appreciate you for sure. And I appreciate you always too, welcome man. to come back on. Uh, whenever your schedule allows, like I said, we normally record on Saturday afternoons, maybe Sunday okay. afternoons, but I mean, you're probably well, working. Um, Saturdays definitely can work for me. I do, uh, I do have big brothers every other weekend, so I will, uh, but we can definitely plan around that. No, for sure. Especially if the, if they're going to have the football season, I'm sure there's lots to talk about since baseball's not happening. Oh, absolutely. Oh, don't even get me started on baseball. I'm so mad. Reds, Reds were going to be good this year. <laughs> they were going to be good this year. It's disappointing for sure. Stuff always happens. Right on. So. But all right, man. We'll let you get back to studying. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Take it easy, man. All right. Later, man. Bye. everybody um this is our our favorite section of the show relax and take notes um you know overall i mean i don't really think really crazy outlandish to say but um I'm, I'm thankful that i was able to um get through the technical difficulties of uh from when we originally recorded this show you know i was able to get it loaded and get it loaded into our system so that you know, this conversation that Lee and I had uh, could get out there. And, and you know, we were, like I said, we we're just talking. Obviously, we're friends, you know, talking about different experiences that, that we have had and specifically that Lee has had, you know, just, just throughout, you know, throughout his life and everything and how his perspective had changed over the years and how it changed and how he's become to have the, per- the perspective that he does right now. So... I think it was good. I think it was a good conversation. Um, you know, I've had other conversations with other people out there. And, um, you know, something that we, we just, we need to do. And we need to be open and honest with each other, you know, about you know what we want in life. And that's really just, you know, to honestly everybody, everybody be equal. And to have equal opportunity and to be viewed the same, you know, just on a human level, everybody, you know, that that's ideally what we want. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see going forward, what kind of change um, happens out there. If change will truly happen, you know, this the, the situation that's going on in the world does feel different. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's definitely interesting. And... And I'm interested to see what can happen. I'm interested to just kind of see what, you know, what I'm going to bring to the table, how I can uh, make a difference, help with the change, you know, be able to have those conversations with people where normally I may, I may not have, you know, being able to interact with people, try to give them my perspective on why I think a certain way or why, um, I feel like I've was been treated different over the years and what they may have thought I did. And, um, you know, there's just times where I think it's going to be good to, to speak up a little bit more, um, you know, and try to find that voice. So that's, that's kind of my goal as far as everything. Um, you know, I want to thank Lee for coming out. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. Like I said, this is different from the normal, always relevant episodes that we, we normally have, you know, this is a little bit heavier, you know, but based on what's going on in this world, it's something that I think that 
was good to have and you know it's good for us to to have these types of shows you know every once in a while so uh, until then like i said this is a bonus episode um we will be having another episode coming out this weekend um where i have myself dane and lee on the show and uh, talk about a few things as well so um until then appreciate you listening um hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to the next one so until then talk to you soon later